Hopefully you all had a great 4th of July. I don't know about you, but I spent my 4th of July, or the last two weeks in fact, in a small black wooden box filled with flammable things called fireworks. We were selling fireworks. Our family does this every year. And we had a blast, although it's a little bit, no pun intended, yeah. You know, it's a little bit interesting when the lightning and thunder hit, though. Uh, it's just not really a place you wanted to be. And I remember telling my daughter and I were there, and I was like, Hannah, get to the car, you know, like, run. It's like a scene from a movie. You're like, yeah, the, the lightning's flashing behind us in the fireworks booth. But it wasn't that dramatic. But uh, we had a great time. So uh, I hope you had a good 4th of July. Hey, every generation has a unique a language, doesn't it? How many of you are builder, the builder generation? Come on, the older generation here. I mean, we would not be here without you, right? This building, these things we see, the builder generation has, has helped build uh, America. It's incredible. Uh, how about baby boomers? Are we got any baby boomers here today? Yeah, okay. We've got, got a lot of baby boomers, of course, one of the largest generation. Uh, how about Generation X? That's like my age. Generation X, anyone? Okay. Yeah, some of you are like, okay, I'll, I'll affiliate with that. <laughs> You're like, I'm not sure, but I think I'll do that. I'm not going to tell you all the breakdown. I don't want to take the time to do it. How about uh, millennials? Any millennials here today? Identify as millennials, all right? No, John, you're not a millennial. You can act like one all you want, but it doesn't make you one, okay? Uh, How about Generation Z? So this is like middle school and high school students. Anybody? Gen Z? Yeah, okay, a few Gen Zers out there. So every generation has its own unique language. It's so funny because like, the way kids speak today, it's like, I can't figure it out, right? I'm Generation X, my kids are Generation Z, and they have some strange things they say, like sick does not mean you're not feeling well. Uh, Fam does not mean you're relatives. Dripping has nothing to do with being wet at all, okay? Uh, And uh, this yeet word, I mean yeet, what is that? I don't know, nobody knows what that is, but it's a cool word, right? Yeet? Okay. Um, So... Okay, so there's another word I want to talk about this morning, and my, my kids are cringing right now, and I love it. Uh, another word I want to talk about this morning called lit, all right? So a lot of people say, that was lit. Um, what, is, what does that mean? You know, it kind of relates to my message this morning, so I'm going to break it down for you. This is from the Urban Dictionary. Parents, if you ever need to know what a word means, go to the Urban Dictionary online, it'll tell you what it means. Lit is a slang word that's most commonly used to describe someone or something that's amazing, awesome, like a fun party or an event that's full of fire and energy. So, like, for example, Mega Sports Camp was... Yeah. That worship set, Aaron, was... Oh, okay, come on. Now, how, how, for you that are over 30 in this room, okay, you can't say that word, all right? Because they'll look at you and they'll say, you are not cool. Don't even try to be cool, all right? Uh, that's, what my, that's what my kids do to me. But this morning, I want to talk about this concept of being lit up for God. What does it mean to be lit up for God? That we are a light for him to proclaim his amazing love to others, this good power in us. Let's be lit for God, okay? How can we be lit for God? How can we show his light and his love. And how can we be uh, this, this testimony that God wants us to be? Well, I think it starts right here with number one. God's wisdom and power is what lights us up. It's his wisdom and power. Now, we're in this series called The Summer of Power, and today we're going to talk about Stephen. Stephen was uh, the first martyr in the early church movement. 
Stephen was not an apostle. He was not a pastor. He was just a dude who loved Jesus, and he served the Lord faithfully, and he was appointed by the apostles to be a deacon. And he was given this special privilege. They saw something on, in Stephen's life. They laid hands on him for service, and they released him to serve the church. And God used Stephen greatly. And we see that in the book of Acts. Now, Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to begin, verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. So these religious leaders didn't like what Stephen was doing. And they secretly, excuse me, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Verse 11, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. It worked for Jesus. So now they're trying the same trick on Stephen. They seized Stephen, brought him before the Sanhedrin, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Not like a baby cherub angel, like a powerful, bright, incredible angel. In fact, New Living, Test, uh, New Living Translation says, bright as an angel's. So we're talking super bright. His face lit up as he spoke. Literally, he was lit for God. He lit up the power and authority and favor he had from God was incredible in that moment as he spoke. John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, was an evangelist and pastor, said, I set myself on fire and people will come for miles to watch me burn. That's how passionate he was. So what lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What subject causes your face to light up as you talk about it? I hope it's more than that new house or boat or car. I hope it's more than your GPA or your degrees or your accomplishments or those certificates on the wall. I hope it's a lot more than the money that you have invested for your retirement. I hope that when you talk, what really lights you up is when you talk about Jesus. You talk about what he's done for you. We talk about what he's done for your family. And I hope it's Jesus. Does your face light up when you speak about how he saved you, how he's made you new? Do, does your countenance change when you begin to recount all the things that Jesus has done in your life and for your family? You know, Stephen spoke the truth about Jesus. And he was falsely accused, but he didn't waver. And God lit him up. He didn't back down. He didn't cower. He knew that he was in God's will, and he stood his ground, and he paid a hefty price for standing up. I'm just wondering, have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? Doesn't feel very good, does it? When I was a youth pastor, I was accused of three different things in the matter of a couple years that really shook me to the core. It was at the time where we were really seeing some fruitful ministry uh, with the youth in our city. In fact, we were uh, seeing kids get saved and, uh, and their lives changed. We were doing these big events and bringing kids in. And, and uh, man, it was amazing what God was doing. People started to hear about us in the city. They started to hear about what God was doing in the public schools. And we had access to things we never had before. And in those days... We faced some pretty difficult times. I personally faced some difficult times. One thing that happened to me, I was falsely accused. 
of renting an X-rated movie. Now, I was in a movie store. This is back in the day when you had to go to the movie store to rent the movie, right? You couldn't just stream it on Netflix. Okay, so you had to go into the store, buy the, the physical movie, take it to the desk, and rent it, and then walk out the door and play it on your DVD player, your VHS player, right? This was DVD. It wasn't quite that long ago, VHS. And so I was in the store walking around. I picked up a movie. I rented it, and I went home. And later on, my pastor called me in the office. He said, hey, uh, some people are saying you, were, you rented an X-rated movie. I'm like, what? Now, this is one of those kind of, it wasn't sketchy, but it was like one of these places that had the double doors that you could go back to the really bad movies. You know, remember those places where you get all the general movies and then like the double doors would hide the really bad stuff. And so they said, saw me going in that back room. And I, that was not true. And I said, Pastor, you go, you talk to the people at the video store. They will vouch me. This is not, that's not the movie I got. They will see it on record what I rented. And I was upset, and I was cleared of all that wrongdoing, obviously, but I was, sh- I was shook by that. Like, how could somebody accuse me of that? It's not true. I remember that around that same time, I was, there was a parent who was telling me that I wasn't paying enough attention to their kid, and they said, you're, you're playing favorites in the youth group. You just, all you do is hang around with the, with the popular kids. You don't hang around with my kid at all. You don't go see his games or whatever, and, and it started just, like, attacking me. I'm like, I mean, I'm just trying to do my best here. There's a lot of kids in this youth group. I'm just trying to, you know minister to everybody, and I'm sorry, I felt bad, and, and she was just like, you know, she was on me all the time about this, and then at the same time, one of the students in my youth group came to me and says, hey, you're misusing the funds for the missions, we were collecting funds for missions, she, he was like, you're misusing, he was giving me all these accusations, and I'm like, wait a second, hold on, that's not how it works, and, and so all these things at the same exact time that we were doing some really cool things in the community, and we saw God's favor And again, all those things were cleared away eventually as we were obedient to God. And obviously, we didn't didn't do those things. But it was hard because we were facing these efforts, even from people inside the church that were coming against us. And none of those accusations were substantiated because of God's favor and because of the truth. But when you're obedient to God, sometimes you're in the center of his will. Things are going to come up. Persecution is going to happen. Difficulty is going to happen. The enemy does not want you to succeed. He wants to take you out. And so we've got to be strong and remember that when we are in God's will and we're right, we don't have to fight for ourselves. God will fight for us. We don't have to stand up and proclaim that we're innocent because God will do that and he will fight for us. And the Bible says signs and wonders will accompany those who believe. I really do believe that. I've seen that happen in my life. In fact, when I went to college, I did not have the money to go to college. I was a 3.0 student. They're not handing out a lot of scholarships for 3.0 students. So I was, I was in a bit of a bind. I knew that God had called me in the ministry, that, that you're supposed to go to Bible college to learn. And so here I was, going to this Bible college I couldn't afford. My parents said, we'll pay for the first year of college, and after that, you're on your own. Well, that's a three-year school. That's a four-year school. You know, I, how am I supposed to pay for the rest of it? I just went because I knew that God had called me to go, and I went. And after the first year was done, I started to feel the pressure. I remember being called into the dean of students' office during finals and said, Brian, your bill's not paid. You can't take your finals unless your bill's paid. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay it. Will you pray with me? And he did. We, we prayed together. God, send the money. And then something would happen. Like, one time it was a scholarship. I'm like, really? They're going to give me a scholarship? Like, what did I do? You know, but I did this thing for the school, and so they gave me a scholarship, and I was able to pay my bill. 
Other times, literally, I would go to my mailbox at the school and open it up, and there was a check in there. I did not expect a check to arrive that day, but yet it did, right before finals, so I could take my finals. I mean, this happened over and over again. Guys, I was so poor in college, I didn't have a car. I could barely afford hairspray. There's a few times I had to go natural because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. I mean, I couldn't afford deodorant sometimes, so I had to put extra soap on and just pray that I wouldn't smell by the end of the day. I mean, that's how bad it got for me. But yet, God always provided, and His timing was always good. And how do you know when you're doing the right thing? How do you know you're in the center of God's will? You know when you see God show up on your behalf. And times are tough, and you know it's difficult, but yet He shows up. And it may not happen in your timing. In fact, I guarantee you it probably won't happen in your timing. But it always happens at the right time. God shows up. And you know what? He showed up for Stephen. Look at verse 55 of Acts chapter 7. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Nothing could have been more comforting for Stephen in that moment than to look up and to see Jesus. I mean, that's incredible, right? Standing at the right hand of the Father. As if to say, Stephen, all these accusations are not true. I got you. I got your back. I'm with you. Whoa. What more could he ask for? God's wisdom and God's power lights us up. And we see that through the life of Stephen. Not only that, but the lit up person, number two, gives their life without fear. The lit up person is willing to give their life without fear. So Stephen is falsely accused. People didn't like what he was saying, especially the religious leaders. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, and uh, he gives one of those amazing sermons in the Bible. In fact, I wish I could read it to you. It's so long, but it's really good. He talks about Abraham and Egypt and the Exodus. He talks about Moses, and he makes this case. And then at the end of the sermon, he says this, you stiff-necked people. Well, I guess they weren't getting it, right? Let's not try that, John. We, that might, we might get in trouble for that. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, have, you who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Man. The Sanhedrin are like, them are fighting words. Stephen stood up for the truth. You ever gone against the grain? It's not easy, is it? Come on, young people, you're here today. It's tough to be different. It's tough to stand up when everybody else is going one way. Ever said something unpopular with the crowd that you're made fun of or persecuted for? You ever stood for something you believe only to be looked down on by others? Or torn down. You know, Stephen spoke in courage. He shared the message and he wasn't afraid of what would happen to him. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's the power of the Holy Spirit because naturally we do not want to do that. We are just go with the flow people, most of us. And yet he stood. He knew that he could be killed for what he said, but he said it anyway. He knew that he could be killed for the way he lived, but he lived that way anyway. 
And so verse 54, we continue to see what happens to Stephen. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, his sermon, and the ending, of course, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll come back to that in a moment. While they were stoning him, while they were throwing rocks at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Hmm. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was not afraid to give his life for Christ. Remember my youth pastor growing up, or actually it was probably an evangelist. My youth pastor probably wouldn't say this, but evangelist would say, if someone came in and, and said, uh, confess Christ or die, what would you do? Like, Man, I don't ever want to have that choice, right? I mean, none of us want that. And yet here he is in that situation, and he was not afraid to confess Christ. And there are people all around the world that have to make that decision on a regular basis, giving their lives for Christ. Recently, there were 21 Coptic Christians who were killed by members of ISIS. And it was supposed to be a warning to members of the cross. And they call them the people of the cross, the followers of the hostile Egyptian church. That's what ISIS calls them. Feel like they're a threat to what ISIS is doing. And the reports came through, and there are many outlets that report on it, but mostly smaller outlets, news outlets. What, what they said was these Egyptian Christians, before they were killed by the sword, were mouthing these words, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they said, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were confessing Jesus as Lord. And they were executed for nothing more than the fact that they were Christians. And they were not willing to recant their confession of Christ. And their blood confesses their faith in Christ. Chances are in America, we won't ever have to face that kind of persecution. Yet that doesn't mean it's easy to live for Jesus. Standing up for what we believe in is not popular. And it can be tough. Today, our young people face pressure that we don't even imagine in their public schools and and, in the universities as the world tries to shape them into their own mold. And we think this has been going on for a while now. In fact, 20 years ago this year, in April, we remember the Columbine Massacre. This is something that literally changed America and their viewpoint of what a high school campus was. In April 20th, Uh, 1999, one teacher and 12 students were killed, including a young woman by the name of Rachel Joy Scott. She was a Christian young lady. And the killers targeted her, not because she picked on them or she was a bully. They targeted her because she was a Christian, because she had faith in Christ. She was the first victim that day, 20 years ago. And she left behind a journal of all the things God was doing in her life and how she was reaching out to people. In fact, 
the very killers. She was reaching out to them weeks before they took her life. She showed love and compassion in Jesus' name. In fact, they made a movie about it. It's called I Am Not Ashamed, and I recommend it, especially to any high school student because it's a powerful movie. But just to think that that happened in America, that someone was walking around saying, are you a Christian, and then shooting. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I know this is a little bit heavy right now, but I want to ask you, are you willing to give your life for the cause of Christ? I don't want to have to give my life. I really don't. But am I willing? I want to say I am. And that may not mean that we become a martyr, all right? But it could mean that we have to sacrifice. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our treasure. Maybe it's our talents. Maybe we need to sacrifice and love someone that's unlovable and do something that's hard. Maybe that we need to sacrifice and be willing to stand up for a cause that goes against the grain. Put our reputation on the line because of what Jesus has done for us. Matthew 16, 25, Jesus said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let me tell you, friends, no matter what we face on earth, no matter what persecution we face, it's worth it. It's worth it. He is worth giving our lives for. The lit up person gives their life without fear. Number three, the light lives on even when we die. Wow, that was heavy. Let's get to some more lighter stuff, okay? The light lives on even when we die. Acts 1, Acts 8, 1 through 4, listen to this. And Saul, there he is, approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But listen to verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, there are two really major benefits of persecution. The people of God have always been persecuted. Even the Jews in the Old Testament, the last 2,000 years, the New Testament Christians as well have been persecuted. What's amazing is that when persecution happens, the persecuted people often hide things that are sacred. So we have, for example, biblical scrolls that were hidden that date back to 200 B.C. or earlier. Because of the persecution that was going on, those scribes would write those things down. They'd copy them from the, the, some of the earliest manuscripts that we have now, the Bible, make up the Bible, were hidden from the Romans because they thought if they found them, they would destroy them. And this is true with many of the New Testament manuscripts that we read today. So the persecution of the early church is what preserved the Bible for us. It was a benefit of the persecution. Here's another benefit. Look at the life of Stephen. Stephen's death was a catalyst for the early church and the movement. Before his death, the Jews were not in Samaria or Judea or in the other most parts of the earth, were they? That's where Jesus told them to go. We read it in Matthew chapter 8 in the Great Commission, but where are they? They're still in Jerusalem. The Christians, there. They've given their life to Christ. They're still in Jerusalem, hanging out. And it wasn't until the persecution broke out that they began to move outside of Jerusalem, and wherever they went, they took the gospel with them. And so another benefit of persecution was the spreading of the gospel. 
I was doing a little research on eagles this week and how they coax their young to leave the nest. And there's a little misnomer about this because a lot of people believe that eagles push their young out of the nest and then let them like fall and then they swoop down and pick them up on their backs and bring them up. That's like Disney stuff, okay? That doesn't happen, all right? I mean, what they do, though, is really fascinating. So they need them to move out of the nest, but they don't want to just push them out and kill them unless they're sick or diseased, and they will do that. But what they do is they, they land on another branch across the way, and they have a little worm in their mouth, and they're willing to give it to their babies, but they're not going to take it to them this time. Those babies have to get out of that nest, hop over those branches, get their food, and come back. But man, they put up a fight. I mean, they squawk, they scream, Mom, over here, we're over here. And she sees them, and she's just sitting right there like, you got to come to me. You know, it's like, it's dinner time. Why don't the kids come to the table when you say it's dinner time, moms? Why is that? I don't know why. Come to the table. It's time for dinner. They want you to bring the food to them, don't you? No, that's not how it works. And so you got to get out of the nest. You got to hop along. And, and eventually, they go back to the nest. Eventually, the, the, the branch gets a little farther. So they got to hop, hop, hop. And they maybe have to fly a little bit over to a little branch. And they fly back a little bit, and eventually those wings get stronger, and they develop, and pretty soon they're ready to fly out of that nest. But it wouldn't have happened unless that mom would have stood there and waited for them to stop crying and get out of the nest and get uncomfortable on those branches and spread those wings and begin to fly. And that's a principle that we see here. And God, I believe, uses the difficulties in our lives, those things that make us uncomfortable, to develop us, to to work in us to see what he wants to do in our lives, something greater. Perhaps today you're being persecuted. Perhaps you're in a difficult spot right now. Maybe you're feeling a burden or, or, or a heaviness in your heart, something, a situation in your life, whatever it is. I believe that God has a great plan that he can work through that, but you've got to wait and let his timing happen. He will make that known eventually. We've got to stay faithful and trust that. That's not easy, is it? It's like jumping out of the nest. But I see something else in this passage that's also fascinating to me. I believe that God was working on Saul. Now, we know Saul to become Paul, and we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But I believe God was working on Saul even in that moment. Because the Bible says he was there at the stoning of Stephen. They laid their coats at his feet before they picked up rocks to kill Stephen. And he watched as Stephen's face lit up. He watched as Stephen said, I see the glory of God. I see Jesus stand at the right hand of the Father. He saw it all. He watched as Stephen said, forgive them for doing this to me. And there he was. I believe that God was beginning to work in his heart, even in that moment. You can't tell me that that did not have an effect on Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul. All right, forgive me for the sports illustrations. I just, I know I did, I did one last time, but I just connect with this, and I think uh, it's a good story. So two months ago, the sports world uh, had to say goodbye to a Major League Baseball player named Bill Buckner. He died uh, of dementia at the age of 69 years old. Bill Buckner was an incredible baseball player, very talented. In fact, uh, he led the league in doubles a couple years. He was an all-star. He was a batting champ in the National League. He played for the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and uh, he, he was an amazing guy. However, Bill Buckner 
will unfortunately always be remembered for an error that he committed in game six of the 1986 World Series where the Red Sox were playing the New York Mets. Now, I was a Mets fan at the time. I don't know why, living on the West Coast, I was a Mets fan, but I was a Mets fan. I just liked the Mets. I collected all their baseball cards, Dwight Gooden, Daryl Strawberry. These guys were really bad people, but good baseball players. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I grew up watching the Mets, and I love the Mets. In 86, and when Buckner made that error, I just jumped through the roof because that was the most amazing thing. My team won game six and went on to win the World Series. But for Bill Buckner, it changed his life. This is what it looked like as Bill, as, this is grainy, grainy picture, but you can see, you can see the ball right there under his legs. The ball just trickled right through. Many of us have seen this, this play. It's one of the most iconic plays in baseball history. The Red Sox thought it was a curse, and so they just went after this guy. The Red Sox fans just crucified him. The media crucified him. I mean, over and over again, Bill Buckner, Bill Buckner, it's the curse. Death threats, angry people persecuting Bill, persecuting his family. When he retired from baseball, he had to move to Idaho to escape from all of this that he was going through. And during that time, he talked about how he had to forgive the fans, had to forgive the media for the, the anger that they showed him. He talked about how his faith in Christ also helped him. And when the Red Sox won the World Series several years later, uh, after a very, very long drought, back in, I don't know, it was 2000, early 2000s, Buckner actually accepted an invitation to come back to Fenway Park and throw out the first pitch for their home opener after they won their second World Series in, his, in a few years. And so there he is, the scapegoat, right? The guy who had so much anger and bitterness and hurt just heaped upon him. Throws out the first pitch and he gets a standing ovation as he walks off the field. And this is a guy that everybody wanted to kill. Now they're giving him a standing ovation. All is forgiven, right? But in his mind, in his heart, it was forgiven a long time ago. This is what he said. He said, it's life. And everybody has to deal with something. And most of the time, it's a lot more important than a baseball game. I mean, you're talking about cancer, sickness, disease. You're talking about taking care of your children. And those things are much more important than baseball. You have choices, and some people can't deal with it, and some can. Jesus has helped me. I'm a person of faith. There's a lot there. I've had a lot of people call me and thank me for giving them direction to make it through, and that's a good thing. You see, he dedicated his life after he retired to travel around and talk about his mistake and how he had to forgive and how he was a follower of Jesus and how that helped him forgive. It made a huge impact on many, many people's lives because of it. Instead of letting the pain and the persecution and the anger against him hold him back, instead of letting a single mistake define his life, instead of hiding and living a life of bitterness and shame, Buckner came out of the shadows and he dedicated his life to helping others find hope and find Jesus despite their imperfections. Now, I know it's just baseball, right? But yet it's bigger than baseball. It's forgiveness. It's getting out of that nest. It's letting that uncomfortableness not define you, but pressing through that. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So let me ask you this question today. What legacy are you going to leave behind? 
when you're gone. Stephen left a legacy. I believe that because of Stephen's death, I really do believe that. Now, the Bible doesn't say it clearly, but I believe that. That impacted Paul's life, who became the Apostle Paul. What legacy are you going to live, leave on when you leave and you go? God's wisdom and power lights us up. The lit up person gives his life without fear. The light lives on even when we die. So here's the application today, and let's look at it on the screen. Will you seek the Holy Spirit's wisdom in your life? What differentiated Stephen? It was the wisdom he had from God. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to pay the price to be a light for Christ? Are you willing to sacrifice if that's what it takes, whatever it takes? What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? I want you to think about those questions as we pray today. Would you bow your head with me? Jesus, this is your church. These are your people. God, you have a great plan for them. And I know that there are some people in this room that are going through some difficulty. They're going through some tough times, circumstances and situations. And God, I pray today that you would encourage them to know that even in the midst of persecution and struggle and strife and trials and tribulations, that God, you have a plan. And that uncomfortable feeling, that difficulty does not define them. But Lord, they can overcome. Just like Stephen, they can stand through it all, be faithful to the end. Help us, Lord, all of us, to strive for that. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a moment, friends. If you would, I want to ask you today, maybe you'd want to say yes to Jesus today. You want to say, you know, I, I need Jesus in my life. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace. I need to make my heart right with God today. Let me tell you how you do that, friends. You do it through Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price. We talked about it in communion today. He paid the price for your sin so that you could be free. He made a way for you to receive eternal life in heaven. He loves you so much. He wants you to have a relationship with him. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I turn from my sin. I repent. I want to live a life that's dedicated to you. And you don't have to be perfect because he's going to walk with you. You're going to make mistakes, but yet he wants to continue to shape you and form you into what he wants you to be. Maybe that's you today. You'd say, I want to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time this morning, I want to say yes to Jesus. Anyone here today, just lift your hand. No one looking around. I'd love to just say a quick prayer for you. Anyone here today, say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to commit my life to Jesus. Okay. Maybe you're here and you would say, Brian, I'm, I'm carrying a burden right now. I feel a little bit like Stephen. Maybe not totally, but a little bit because I'm under pressure. And it's a circumstance, a situation. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe it's just a heavy weight you're dealing with. Whatever it is this morning, I just want to encourage you today. In this moment, I'm not going to I'm not going to pray for you that God would take that thing away, okay? Here's what I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that God would show you what he wants to teach you in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of that heaviness. So if you're here today and you would say, Brian, I want to learn the lessons that God is teaching me through my difficulty right now, the difficulty I'm going through right now. If that's you, 
Would you slip up your hand today so I can pray for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray for these many hands that have gone up. They want to they know, Lord, what it is, how you're shaping them, how you're making them. God, we don't know sometimes till we get to heaven what is going, why you've done the things you've done in our lives, why we face the situations we face. But God, I pray you would mold us and shape us into who you want us to be. And God, when we come against situations that we'd be able to stand up and know that you're going to carry us through those difficult times. I pray you'd give these, these friends hope and life and encouragement today. Help them not to be discouraged, but help them to trust in you. One more group this morning before, we, before we're done. Keep your heads bowed for just a moment. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? How many of you would say, I'm willing, Brian, I'm willing to pay the price to be lit up for Christ in order to leave a legacy? Come on, how many of you, that's you? I'm willing to pay the price. Come on. I'm willing to pay the price. My hand's up with yours. Lord, you see these hands? God, you see the willingness that we have? Lord, help us to be faithful, to walk with you. Help us to, to, Lord, put our hand to the plow and not look back. God, that you'd wrap us in your arms. You'd help us to have the strength that we need to overcome, God, and to be everything you want us to be, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to look back on our trials and say, man, I'm, that was a horrible thing. That was terrible. I wish I would have never gone through it. We want to look back and say, that was a horrible thing, but yet God made me into a new person through that situation, and I thank him for what he did in me. I don't thank him for the trial, but I thank him for the result. Thank you, Jesus, for what you want to do in our lives praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.